More than 50 million Americans experience allergy symptoms annually. Allergies are the sixth leading cause of chronic illness in the United States. And when severe, allergies can be quite dangerous and even deadly. Angioedema and severe allergic reactions account for more than a million ER visits per year in the United States. Food anaphylaxis alone results in an ER visit every two and a half minutes, and the problem keeps getting worse. Over the past 10 years, allergy-related hospitalization rates have increased more than 250%. I'm Matt Piller. This is the Business of Biotech. And on today's show, we're going to speak with the leader of a biopharma company aiming to address this unmet medical need by re-engineering key antibodies involved in the allergic cascade. Dr. Jessica Grossman only signed on as CEO at Igenix last year, but her impact there was felt almost immediately. By July of last year, in fact, the company announced a $25 million oversubscribed Series A1. That's the stuff pipelines are made of. And Dr. Grossman's here with me now to share the story. Dr. Grossman, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Matt. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. And I want to start out just by getting to know you and your your career. You've got a, you know, when I look at your career path on paper, it's it's pretty interesting to me. So I've got some questions around that. Um, so going back to when you were earning your MD from Thomas Jefferson University, uh, it looks like you spent some research associate time at Harvard and then moved on to a medical and surgical residency at the University of Pennsylvania. And then the ensuing 20 plus years on your on your CV have been spent in the life sciences business side. So there's a clear transition there, at least on paper, I want to dig into what was the uh, impetus or the inspiration for taking that entrepreneurial path out of kind of the, you know, the, the medical realm. Well, that's that's a great question, Matt. And this is something I, I talk about a lot and try to inspire others, medical students, et cetera. So when I was in medical school, I was one of these kids. I always wanted to be a doctor. I knew early on, you know, if you asked me when I was 10 years old, I, I would say, I want to be a doctor. My dad's a doctor. I used to go to the hospital with him on snow days. I grew up in Boston. Um, and I saw him walking around in his white coat and I thought, oh, this is, this is going to be great. And so I went to medical school. I loved it. I did some research, just as you said, at, at Harvard. Then when I got into my internship and residency, I started to realize that the, the practice of medicine, sort of the everyday practice, not just the study, was in some ways very rote and very cookbook. There, you know, there were nuances for sure. But I felt like I had a lot of creative ideas and new ideas, ideas for new new procedures, new ways to do things. And so I learned that I really am an entrepreneur and had the opportunity to come out to California and start working. At the beginning, I worked in the medical device field mm -hmm. and I just loved it and sort of never looked back. And that road has taken me through uh, medical device companies. I eventually started my own company based on an invention that I had for a minimally invasive treatment for fibroid tumors. Mm -hmm. So that relates back to women's health. I then went and worked for Johnson and Johnson for a time. Um, and then I, I went back to California. So, you know, it's been a really interesting journey. Um, yeah. About seven years ago, I, I transitioned to the pharma space and I run, I ran a women's health company with a hormonal IUD. And then just recently, as you mentioned, I got recruited to be the CEO of Igenix. And Igenix is a biopharma company. We're working in the antibody space. And as 
I guess almost everyone knows with biotech, that's really the wave of the future. And I wanted to be involved and apply my skills to a company like that. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And you, you're you skipping ahead because I've got more questions about your Okay. Your sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Oh, I've got go more, yeah, that's fine. I've got more questions about your path though. Because to your point, you know, you mentioned uh, j- just briefly um, that you spent uh, a good part of your career focused on women's health and, and you know, more specifically, there was, you know, that, that med device aspect, uh, gynecology, obstetrics, maternity care, uh, medical devices. Um, what, what was the inspiration for that focus? Because I can, I can, you know, I can assure you that I, I understand uh, your childhood appeal to the, to the white lab coat. I mean, I'm 46 years old and I still want to go back to school and become a doctor. There's just something. It's not too late, Matt. You can do it. (laughs) Tell that to my wife and kids. There's something (laughs) romantic about the notion though. Right. Uh, So then you, you, you know, you're in that space. And then even when you move from there, uh, when you were practicing medicine, it it appears as though, you know, that there was a focus on women's health. And then when you moved into industry, uh, you you remain there. What was the uh, what 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 was the inspiration for that? And then I want to ask you why the transition from there to uh, allergic disease. Yeah, so I have always been drawn to women's health, to obstetrics and gynecology. Um, it's generally an underserved field, and I would say you know even though half of the population is women. There's not a lot of innovation research on things like pregnancy, childbirth, common Mm -hmm. tumors of the female reproductive tract. Um, And that's just always been a great area of passion of mine. That's uh, yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah, for sure. There's so so many of the procedures that I see in women's health, uh, you know, to this day, they they do feel like they're, they're pretty rudimentary, right? That there hasn't been a whole lot of advancement there. In, in 2020, you make you make another shift, another you know very very clear shift uh, from women's health into leadership of a biopharma company that's focused on allergic conditions. Um, so, what what was the inspiration for that move? Yeah, so part of the appeal and what drew me to Igenix, aside from just being excited to work in really early stage, cutting edge biotechnology, is that allergy is also an underserved field and has a lot of parallels to women's health. Um, The other thing that I realized when I was sort of doing my due diligence on joining the company and talking to allergists, um, you know, going out and sort of seeing some allergy clinics is, as you noted in your beginning um, preamble, a lot of allergy affects children and families and you know who is the chief medical officer of the home well it's mom mm-hmm. so i really see allergies as a, as a family disease and if we can have an impact on those kids who suffer from life threatening allergic disease allergies to foods and and other things then we can really improve the lives of whole families yeah that's a that's an excellent point. It is a it is a family disease for sure. You know, it's funny. I um I, I thankfully I haven't had any um, experience with severe allergies, but just personal anecdote. When I was um in my early twenties, I was probably twenty twenty one years old. Um, seasonal allergies just came out of nowhere. I mean, I, I never had a problem as a child, and then uh, in my early twenties. I remember one, uh, one, one year when the, the peas, I lived in a rural area and when the peas were pollinating, 
I mean, it was un, unbearable the 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 allergy that I developed, and and that just you know it 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 extended from there. And I ended up um, going going and having allergy shots, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I did that for for several years. Again, did it work? It, you know, it it worked to the to the degree that um I I could I could. I could get through a fall without wanting to pull my eyeballs out of my head. You know what I mean? And, and now, you know, a little bit of Benadryl does the trick. It's uh, so, so for sure, they, it was definitely helpful. But the point I'm making is that it, I, I'm corroborating what you're saying and that to commit to, uh, you know, even for a mild, this is a, a relatively mild allergy. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the severe allergies that you guys are tackling. Um, but to commit to the point that you're, um, you know, going for therapy once a week, eventually twice a week, eventually, you know, once or twice a month uh, over the course of years. Sure. I mean, it, it absolutely affects uh, ent- entire family units mm-hmm. and, and that does all roll up to mom. There's no <laughs> um, so as I said, when you joined uh, IG Genix, you, uh, one of the, one of the first orders of business was obviously to raise money because you did so and you did so successfully. Uh, you led this successful A A one uh, financing series, um, and you know I I spend as as our listeners can attest I I spend a ton of time talking with the leaders of biopharma companies who are fresh on the heels of of finance rounds, um, and dare I say I mean as far as CEOs are concerned anyway you may be the first woman that I've that oh. I've had a conversation with who. You know, plowed through a, a successful finance round, and 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 if and, and and maybe we can go up one layer and count on one hand the number of female CEOs that I've had on. I think uh, you know by the time this airs, we'll be on episode I don't know mid eighties, right? I mean we're we're still young at the at the game, but eighty some episodes, and I can probably count on one hand how many female CEOs I've had on in the biopharma space. So tell me about <laughs> that's why, kind why of depressing. <laughs> I don't mean to depress you. It's just the, you know, that's the reality of the, you know, the numbers as they sit right now. Right. Um, well, but you know, you bring up an important point and what's really important to me. And, you know, one of the reasons also I joined Igenics because I, before this, I was running a company that was quite successful. We had a commercial stage product, you know, it was a much larger company with a larger team. We had a commercialization partnership with AbbVie. And one of the reasons that I decided to take this new opportunity at Igenics was just, as you say, that so much of venture capital funding and so many CEOs of biotech companies are not women. And I felt like I had the opportunity, and I've been very fortunate since, to bring to the space some success, right? And if I was able to go out and, and raise a round and add my name to the to the you know 3% of women um, who are raising venture capital funding then that will help the women behind me, right? And that that'll help pave the path for the next generation of women CEOs and women entrepreneurs. And that was really important to me. Did you, um, the, the, I guess the ratio of, of male to female leadership in prior space, I mean, as we, as, as we acknowledged, you spent a good part of your career in various aspects of women's health. Is it a safe, safe assumption that in women's health, whether it's med device, uh, you know, practicing medicine or developing therapeutics, um, the, the ratio is a little healthier or, or is that a, would, would that be a, a, a <laughs> I don't a, think it's that different to be honest. I mean, it might be, you know, a couple of percentage points higher, 
um, because I think that people want to see a woman representing a woman's health company. Um, I wish we didn't have that gender bias, but we do. I would say for practicing physicians, um, the numbers of female OBGYNs is in fact much higher, which is mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Um, and OBGYN is a surgical subspecialty. It's a, it's actually a really hard job. So I, I applaud all those women who do that every day. Um, but certainly, you know, at my prior companies, uh, except for the last one, most of my executive team were men. Mo- almost all of my board was, were men. Um, you know, I, I, when I started my first company now 15 years ago and raised the A round and the B round, it was all men, right? I never met a female venture capitalist. So, so it it hasn't changed all that much. And, you you know, I was just going to say, you you said you never met a female venture capitalist. And I wanted to ask you that, like uh, the, you know, aside. So from, from the perspective, I brought it up. I, I haven't spent time with many leaders of of those seeking funds uh, who who are female. And from your perspective, you're saying like you go out on the fundraising trail, and you're meeting with with venture capitalists, and you 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 know you you just don't you don't bump into female venture capitalists. So on on that side as well, it's a it's a I imagine the ratio is maybe even worse. Yeah, it's it is. But um, you know, I, again, I think if I have the opportunity to change that and to, to represent something different and to give um, VCs and investors and potential corporate investors, the opportunity to, to work with a woman CEO and see how great we are, right. Women CEOs and, and, uh, and women in general, I think we work, you know, twice as hard as, as uh our male counterparts don't don't quote me on that, but uh, I, I do well, feel you're, like you're, <laughs> this is a podcast. Yes. <laughs> okay. <gonna> <laughs> well, I don't want to offend any men, but I I do think you know we work really hard, and one of the important things you know that the values that I grew up with is you know you, you show up, you work really hard, you do your best, and I can see even you know in what I've accomplished over the last year that I've been the CEO of Hygenics, um, I've brought, in, brought a lot of momentum to the team. And my chief technical officer, who's also one of the co-founders of the company, after I started, about maybe six weeks after I started, I kind of was joking with him. I said, so, so what do you think? You know, how, how am I doing? And he said, I'm impressed by the speed and the, you know, the stamina of what you do every day. It's nonstop. Mm -hmm. Is that every day I'm on the phone, I'm making calls, I'm figuring out what else we can do, who can we work with, you know, sourcing anything that we need. If there's a problem, I'm fixing it. When we started, we really, uh, I'm, I'm jumping into kind of how we do our discovery process, if that's okay. Sure. When I started, we all of our discovery is bl- based on whole blood from highly allergic donors. Mm-hmm. That's how we, we do single cell genomics. So we get out the cells and the antibodies from that blood. And when I started, we really only had a single source for, the, for those blood specimens. And I re- quickly realized, okay, this is not going to work if we're going to meet our goals in advance. When you, say, when you say a single source, just to interrupt you real quick, you're talking about a, a single s- supplier. 
Yeah, we had a, a partnership with Stanford University where the company was spun out of. So we work very closely with our co-founder, Kari Nadeau, out of Stanford, and we have a agreement with them to source uh, blood donations under a IRB approved protocol, et cetera, and informed mm-hmm. consent, but from patients going to their allergy center. And so that has been a source for us, for us even from the early days. Yeah. And so, you know, we get several samples a week, but we, I realized in order to really make progress, we were going to need several samples a day. Mm-hmm. Right. And so one of the things that I think as a physician, I bring to the table is I said, okay, well, I I actually know a lot on how to do clinical trials and we can start a clinical trial where we, you know, get physicians to work with us and get IRB approval. And I wrote a protocol and wrote the informed consent and, you know, all things that I had done before. And we now have 10 different clinical trial sites across the U.S. where we're recruiting patients and getting uh, blood donations from highly allergic donors. And that's been, that's enabled us to make huge progress at the company. When you're striving to excel in a new arena, the best guides are the ones already doing it well. The business of biotech brings those voices forward to help new and emerging biopharmas turn their innovations like MRNA and cell and gene therapies into clinical realities. Tune in and subscribe for insights on hiring, regulatory, and other need-to-know topics for biopharma leaders. The podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Cytiva. Check out their resources at cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A dot com backslash emerging biotech. Tell me, and, and this is good, like I, I, I prefer to, you know, have the conversation about women in biotech kind of dovetailed with what, what you guys are doing, because there's perfect examples of, of, of your hard work there. Um, co- contrast for me uh, a little bit, what you uh, came upon when you joined the company as, as CEO and, and what you look like now. And that, that was a great example that you just gave, you know, moving a whole, you know, head down, horns down, moving into, in, into, into clinical trials and uh, ramping up clinical supply necessary to do so. Um, what, what else looks different now? Like what, what, what else is sort of the, how, how else would you sort of contrast what the company was? I mean, just, just a little over a year ago when you joined it to today. Yeah. I mean, that was a, that was a, a huge change. And as I said, the CTO, he said to me, wow, I'm, I'm just surprised at the pace that you work. That mm-hmm. it's, yeah. You're just working all the time. So that's who I am. Well, you know, I'll, I'll make a comment on that real quick as it relates to sort of the gender disparity and you, and your concern that perhaps you might be offending men by saying that women work twice as hard. So one, even those of us who who might not believe uh, that to be true would never admit as much if we have to go home mm-hmm. to a wife, right? Because our, our wives all know, right? And, and my wife's a perfect example. I mean, there's no question. I think there's, you know, dare I say, uh, a biological predisposition, an evolutionary predisposition in, in a woman to be able to tolerate um, you know, <laughs> a hell of a lot more than than we're capable of. I, I see it in my wife every day, both from a hardiness standpoint, uh, a pain tolerance standpoint, an energy level standpoint, there, there's no question. So we'll, we'll acknowledge that. I'll probably get some hate mail from the more chauvinistic of our audience after saying that, but it's absolutely true. Yeah, well, I, I have to tell you, I'm also a mom. So after after you know my day at work, 
Uh, and before my day at work, I have a 12 year old son. So, you know, I'm getting packing his lunch, getting breakfast on the table, I'm making dinner at night. So yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a little exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I love what I do and I love the science. I love that, you know, I love to be working in a cutting edge field. I've learned so much in the last year on what we do and, you know, to, to answer your question before of kind of like what's changed, first of all, like, I feel like I've gotten a, a crash course in immunology and now, you know, I'm able to contribute to the team you know, at the beginning, we were really very early in the discovery process. We're now moving into preclinical. We're planning some animal studies, some in vivo studies. We just completed our preliminary PK. We have a goal to identify our lead candidate mid-year and get start the contract manufacturing process to get into human clinical trials as soon as possible. As, as you also said at the beginning of your um your introduction, uh, allergies is a huge unmet medical need. There is essentially almost no good therapies today. The gold standard of care is really allergy avoidance and rescue epinephrine, um, which may, you know, sound easy in practice, but in reality, it's very hard. You really, you know, can't eat out. There's kind of cross contamination of allergens all the time. Um, there is one FDA approved drug for, for peanut allergy, which has been a, a great, um, blessing to the, to the folks who have allergies, but you know, it's not, it's not a product without its challenges. And so we're really hoping to revolutionize, uh, the field of, of treatment of allergic disease. Yeah. And you know, um, we're, we don't, we don't like to dive too deep into the weeds of the science, but I do want, to the extent you can talk about that, I do want to learn a little bit more about that scientific approach in that, um, you know, I, I, I kind of liken it to so, some other common indications like diabetes, for instance, you know, there's a whole lot of promise on the biologics front around re-engineering our approach to treating diabetes and perhaps even curing it. But in the meantime, there's insulin, right? Like it's, right. For the past it's been hundred years, there's been insulin and it's much the same in, in the allergy world with less severe allergies. As I mentioned, you know, there's the, the rudimentary sort of inoculation approach uh, that, that so many people go through to condition their bodies to, uh, to, to tolerate that immune response. Um, or there's reactive, as you said, emergency epinephrine. What's the promise uh, that, that we're looking at in terms of, uh, you know, engineered biologics, engineered antibodies uh, to, to address. Uh, yeah. Well, it's interesting, Matt, that you brought up allergy shots because that's a, that's a really good um, analogy in some ways to what we're doing. So the way that allergy shots work is, you know, or oral immune therapy where people get the food is you get a tiny amount of the allergen. You said at the beginning, you had to have shots once a week, then once every other week. So you get a shot of the allergen over time, years, right? You remember it was years of shots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what happens to the body naturally, the immune system makes an, an IgG antibody that competes with allergen. That's what the body does naturally with getting this small dose of allergen. And our therapeutic hypothesis is, okay, instead of going through that 
weeks, years of treatment, we're just going to give the individuals an engineered IgG antibody so that you're going to get the benefit of that, those years of allergy shots or those years of oral immune therapy right away. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's the promise. Right. That's, that's super interesting. And uh, to what degree are you kind of, uh, or I guess give us an, an, an idea around which specific indications are, are perhaps most appealing for you to pursue within the allergy world? I mean, you know, you can, you can be, I, I was allergic for, to everything from uh, silver maple, maple to pineapple for a time, right? You can be allergic to a lot of different things. So um, where's the focus now and why? Let's talk about the kind of the business aspect between or behind where the focus is and, and why that's the focus. Yeah, so we have actually discovered thousands of IgE allergic antibodies from highly allergic individuals, and then we're re-engineering those antibodies, as you said. Um, we have antibodies to over 25 different allergens right now, but from a market standpoint, I think that the biggest market and the biggest unmet medical need is really still in peanut. Mm-hmm. Some of the tree nuts like cashew, pistachio, walnut, pecan, those are very common and also have high rates of anaphylaxis if you have exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, when we th- look at things like you mentioned pineapple, um, pineapple is very rare and not that I don't want to minimize whatever your symptoms were. Oh, but it it's- was it was so minor. It was so minor. In fact, I remember my allergist telling me, so it was like a tingling sensation, right? And right. And it was the weirdest thing because I like pineapple and I always did. As I said, I didn't 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 uh I, I didn't experience the onset until I was in my twenties. And then it was like a, a tingling minor swelling sensation. It was never, 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 never serious. But I remember my allergist telling me that the the reason that it was rare, but that the reason behind it was that uh the the protein in pineapple that I was allergic to was so, so much like, or almost identical to a protein in a, in a, in one of the seasonal in a pollen, right. One of this, one of the seasonal pollens that, that created a, a yeah. It's, we, we call that it's a cross reactive protein. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, super interesting. Uh, yeah. So any, anyway, um, point, point being, it was fortunately for me, it was very minor. Um, yeah, so so we want to really focus on those individuals when we talk about unmet clinical need and why I think a lot of us who are doctors are are drawn to this field for to those individuals who have really severe reactions and those tend to be the nuts, peanut being number one. It's also large market, and then um, I would say behind that would be kind of shellfish, milk, and egg, mm-hmm. um, and those are all certainly on our horizon. We're furthest ahead in peanut. And as I said, we're starting preclinical studies in peanut. Um, And then, you know, I also don't want to forget the arrow allergens, cat, dust mite. Some of those can be severe in sort of the the induction of asthma and how those sort of clinically present as well. And we're looking at some of those programs too. Yeah. What does the the landscape look like? I, I hesitate to call it a competitive uh, landscape because I've, I've done that before and, and quickly been corrected, you know, <laughs> by those who believe that they have zero competitors. Um, but but from a, I guess, I guess um, market perspective, what does the landscape look like in terms of bio, other, other perhaps biologic approaches to tackling uh, allergic disease? 
That's a, that's a good question. So there are some biologics on the horizon that are anti-IgE. So mm -hmm. Zolaire, um, which is made by Genentech Roche, is an anti-IgE. It's actually been an, uh, approved for, for quite a long time. Um, but those anti-IgE therapies are very nonspecific, right? They attack all IgE. What we're doing is very specific for the allergen itself. And so we think that that specificity, of course, we don't know because we're early, but our, our theory is, is that specificity just for the allergen, not for any endogenous target in the body, like an IgE molecule, but just for the allergen will yield a very safe and effective profile. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the the process, if you can. And this is a question that uh, I, I should have asked <laughs> much earlier when we were talking about your uh, efforts to to ramp up your 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 blood supply uh, from from donors. Um, I'm one of those guys who, when I listen to a podcast, and there's an obvious question that should be asked, and the and the interviewer, the podcast host, doesn't ask it, it annoys me. I think I do that <laughs> with my audience all the time. So let me let me just back up there. Tell us, uh, just give us an overview of, of what that process looks like, that process of, you know, from, from the point of collection to, you know, analysis, uh, extraction, I'm assuming, of, of, of the protein or, or, or the antigen, that is, um, and, and kind of where it goes from there. Sure, sure. And, and this has been really exciting for me to kind of learn about this whole new field. When I first joined, I was like, oh my God, we can do that. You know, it's all sort of like this gene editing. So what we do is we collect the blood. We take the cells. We use flow cytometry to isolate single cells that have IgE antibodies, the antibodies that cause allergic disease on their surface. We lyse those cells. And we get out all of the messenger RNA in those cells. So mm -hmm. anything that's happening in that cell to make proteins, we get it out. We then convert all of that messenger RNA to DNA. And then we do a process where we do PCR to amplify the DNA. And then we match the DNA to a reference gene to get out the, the heavy and light chains of the IgE sequences. And so that's sort of in a nutshell, how we kind of get out those gene sequences. We don't express those IgE uh, antibodies. What we do is we class switch the IgE antibodies into IgG antibodies. Mm -hmm. So we retain the antigen binding sites, uh, but we class switch the FC portion that actually will end up binding to mast cells and basophils. We switch that out. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And do you do this in in house in your own facility, or do you do you outsource that activity? We do some of it in house. Um, we the actual kind of antibody expression and the class switching we outsource. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, all right. So I, I'm I'm going to ask you to kind of reflect on what that's going to look like as you move toward and into your your clinical path. As you mentioned, you already had to ramp up donor supply. Um, as you move toward and into the the the, cl the clinical stage, I imagine that will uh, continue to th those demands will continue to kind of uh, build. So, where do you go from here? From uh, I guess infrastructure and scale up perspective. 
Yeah, I think the other thing that we're doing, um, once we have those engineered antibodies expressed, we're testing them in in vitro assays. And one of the assays that we do is also a whole blood assay where we use the blood from allergic donors to actually test if we add our antibody into Mm. the blood and then add allergen. I'll use peanut as an example, although we've done it with many different allergens. Um, do you get an allergic reaction in the blood in a test tube? Do those okay. basophils and mast cells? So that I got, testing, my, I got way ahead of myself by asking you about r- ramping up for clinical. So that's good. Thank, that, no, thanks no, for I, but, check down there. But look, I am right now, you know, putting together what the phase one looks like. We want to do a phase one study in allergic individuals. Um, where we do a single ascending dose and then multi-ascending dose. And we can also do things like skin prick tests mm-hmm. in those allergic individuals to see if those kind of, that's a surrogate biomarker, if you will, to see if the skin prick test resolves with our antibody drug. So those are definitely things that I'm thinking of. Um, so to do those tests, I mean, you're talking about the assays uh, or the assays that you're doing uh, in the lab now and the testing that you're doing in the test tube um, to, to be able to move e- even a pinprick test into a, into a human um, phase that, that would require a clinical trial. Correct. Is that correct? Correct. Right. right. And so I think, that, you know, also the next scale for us as we identify our lead candidate is the scale up on getting to that clinical batch, right? So thinking about the CMC, the the PK, you know, all of those, the the IND, all of those IND enabling studies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now we're a pretty small team, um, but I definitely can see needs for us to hire pharmacologists, uh, toxicologists, uh, CMC people, regulatory. Right now we're a small team where everyone wears a lot of hats, but we will need a lot more specialized um, folks that kind of work in getting lead product into a clinical ready product. Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what's next uh, uh, sort of on the immediate horizon? What's, what's your next big move or next big need? Um, well, (laughs) you know, before you know it, I'm going to be out there raising a a series B. And, uh, so starting to really gear up for that, the way that I like to think about things is, you know, if I was an investor, what are all the things that I would want to see? What's the Mm -hmm. data package look like? What's the proof of concept? How, how do I want to convince people that this product is going to work? Um, is it animal data? Is it assay data? And then um, at the end of this year, we'll also submit a pre-IND to the FDA and, and go meet with them, get feedback on our on our tox plan, um, get feedback on our phase one study. So those are those are my big big ticket items this year. Yeah, those are the big ticket items that are keep you gonna keep you moving faster than everyone else, faster than all the men, <laughs> as we ascertained. Um it's plenty. I mean, you've got a lot on your plate and it's a, sounds like an, it's a, it's a very exciting time at, at iGenics. I mean, you guys are r- rapidly growing, well-funded, about to be, be even more well-funded. Um, yeah, I, w- I wish you well on, on the journey as you move forward. What, uh, we're running short on time here, but I want to, I want to wrap up with maybe some advice from you, Dr. Grossman, that you would share with, you know, I mean, we, we talked quite a bit about the, fu- the fundraising scene, but, um, 
you know, your, your, your choice, uh, or, or both share some advice with, uh, I always ask my guests to share advice on, you know, being the leader of an emerging biopharma company. Um, so I'll ask you that question with a bit of a twist. What advice would you give to other aspiring or, or newly appointed leaders of, uh, emerging biopharma companies who, who happen to be female? Yeah, I guess I am a big believer in authentic leadership. I I try to be myself, right? And to be honest, integrity and, and keeping my word is extremely important to me. I try to run a company where there's no BS, no drama. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want, you know, people talking about each other or complaining. Let's just have all the conversations out in the open. I tend to believe and run things in a very transparent way fashion, which sometimes people don't like or makes them uncomfortable. For instance, after a board meeting, I I share with the team, my board slides, exactly what happened in the board meeting. But I find that, you know, if you can have open, transparent communication, then it takes away a lot of the drama and mystery of what happened, what are we supposed to be doing? Um, So that's kind of principles that I try to, to really embody and live by every day. And the other thing that I would say is, you know, follow your passion, work hard, work harder than everybody else. And um, don't be afraid to take risks, right? That, you know, even leaving my last company and coming here, there was a big risk. What if it wouldn't work out? What if I wouldn't be able to raise money? What if I can't learn the new language of this different space? Um, But I took that risk and I'm really happy that I did. So I would say, you know, follow your passion take risks, work hard. Yeah. Um, super sound advice. Super sound advice. I've, I've taken some of that advice myself. You know, I, I'm relatively new to the space, uh, learning a new language. It's been a couple of years, but I'm still, I mean, it's a, there's a long learning curve. Learning a new language is, uh, is, is certainly a, a, a big challenge, but um, you've done it well. Uh, it, it appears as though you've done it well. So congratulations on the, on the, well, thank you. I try hard though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me, Dr. Grossman. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll be paying attention. Hopefully we'll have you on for a part two and we can talk about some clinical successes down the road. I hope so. Thanks so much. That's Dr. Jessica Grossman. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva, a company that demonstrates its commitment to emerging biotech by way of a trove of freely accessible resources at its Biotech Accelerator. Learn more at CitivaLifeSciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech. Check us out at BioprocessOnline.com. Sign up for my newsletter there. And if you like what you're hearing here, subscribe to the pod. Give us five stars. And thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.